Chapter 4 of The Amethyst Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sydney M. The Amethyst Cross by Fergus Hume. Chapter 4 A Family History. After delivering his message of woe, Mr. Hale sat down on the garden seat under the chestnut tree and mechanically flicked the dust from his neat brown shoes with a silk handkerchief. He was perfectly arrayed as usual, and on account of the heat of the day, wore a suit of spotless drill, cool and clean-looking. But if his clothes were cool, he certainly was not, for his usually colorless face was flushed a deep red, and his eyes sparkled with anger. Lesbia, who had risen with George, looked at him with compunction in her heart. After all, so her thoughts ran, she had suspected her father wrongly. If he had attacked George to regain this unlucky cross— he assuredly would not now be lamenting its loss. And yet, if he were innocent, who was guilty, considering the few people who knew that the ornament was in existence? Tim might, but it was impossible to suspect Tim Burke, who was the soul of honesty. Well, said Hale crossly, what is to be done? He looked directly at George, who faced him standing with a look of perplexity on his handsome face. Are you sure that the house has been robbed? he asked doubtfully. Mr. Hale shrugged his shoulders. "'I usually say what I mean,' he remarked acridly. "'I took your note to Medmenham and found the local policeman conversing with your mother's servant. From her I learned what had taken place, and indeed she was telling the constable when I came up. "'Well?' "'It seems,' pursued Hale, producing a cigar, "'that Jenny, as she is called—' "'Yes, yes,' broke in Walker impatiently. "'Go on.' "'Well, then?' Jenny rose this morning to find the window of the drawing-room wide open. Nothing was touched in that room, but your bedroom was ransacked thoroughly. Your clothes were strewn about, and apparently every pocket had been examined. The drawers were opened, and even the bed had been overhauled. There was no sign of the burglar, and Jenny swears that, sleeping at the back of the house, she heard nothing. "'And what has been stolen?' asked Lesbia hesitatingly. "'Only the cross.' "'Are you sure?' "'Absolutely.' I gave Jenny the note, and together with the policeman, who, by the way, is a bucolic idiot, she took me to the bedroom. I examined the right-hand drawer, which was open, as were all the other drawers, and found that the cross was missing. Jenny declared that nothing else had been taken. Of course, the girl was in a great state of alarm, as she was the sole person in the house, and she feared lest she should be accused. Also, and very naturally, she was surprised at your being away, Walker. George nodded. I dare say. It is rarely that I sleep away from home, and when I do I give notice. Humph! <laughs> he sat down on the grass opposite Mr. Hale and gripped his ankles. What do you think, sir? Hale made a vague motion of despair. What can I think? I know as much as you do, and nothing more. Would you mind my putting you in the witness-box, Walker? By no means. Ask what questions you desire. And I shall be counsel for the defense, said Lesbia, sitting down beside her lover with rather a wry smile. It appeared to her that Mr. Hale wished to recall his offer to let the marriage take place, also that he wished to get George into trouble if he could, but how he proposed to do so the girl could not tell. However, she was anxious and listened with all her ears. Mr. Hale raised his eyebrows at her odd speech, but took no further notice of it. He was too much interested in his examination. "'Lesbia,' said Mr. Hale quietly, "'Gave you the cross yesterday evening in my presence, so to speak. "'What did you do with it?' "'I slipped it in my breast pocket,' said Walker promptly, "'and rode back to Medmenham, as you saw. 
On arriving, I placed it for safety in the drawer of my dressing table. Then, later, as I explained at breakfast, I came down to see Lesbia and was assaulted by an unknown man. Did you show the cross to anyone, say, to Jenny? No, and if I had shown it to Jenny, it would not have mattered. You do not suspect an honest girl like her, I presume. Honest girls may yield to the temptation of stealing such a fine ornament as a cross, said Mr. Hale dryly. However, it may set your mind at rest if I say that I don't suspect Jenny. Had she stolen the cross, she would not have had the imagination to have set the room and leave the window open so as to suggest burglary. But think again, Walker. Did you show the cross to anyone after leaving this garden? No, said George positively. I certainly did not. That is, not voluntarily. Ah, then someone else did see it, said Hale with satisfaction and with marked eagerness. Come, man, speak up. I had almost forgotten, said Walker slowly. Perhaps the blow on my head made me forget. But I remember now. Remember what? asked Lesbia, as eager as her father. That those gypsies saw the cross. Gypsies? Hale and his daughter glanced at one another. Yes. I was walking up the lane to my house when I passed a gypsy encampment. While doing so, I pulled out my handkerchief, and the cross, which I had placed in my breast pocket, fell out. The handkerchief twitched it, I suppose. It flashed down on the grass, and the glitter caught the eye of a man lounging near the caravan. He came forward and pointed out where it had fallen, as I had not noticed its whereabouts for the moment. By the time I picked it up, two or three of the gypsies had gathered round and saw me restore it to my pocket. Then I thanked the man and went home. Lesbia clapped her hands. "'Why, it is perfectly plain,' she cried, delighted. "'That man must have assaulted you on the towing path to steal the cross.' Not finding it on you, he robbed the house. What do you think, father? Hale nodded. I think as you do. So the best thing to be done will be to come and see the constable or the inspector here in Marlow. We must have those gypsies searched before they go away. The encampment was still there this morning, but I saw signs of removal. George leaped to his feet. Yes, it must be so, he cried eagerly. I dare say the man robbed me. The cross being flamboyant is just the thing which would attract him. "'Then we must see the inspector. I must get the cross back. It is a pity I remained at Cookham last night with Sergeant. Had I been here, I should have gone at once to Medmenham.' "'But it was midnight, father.' "'I don't care. The mere fact that Walker here was assaulted would have proved to me that the cross was wanted. Since he left it at home, the thief would probably have burgled the house. I might have caught him red-handed. Oh, why didn't I come home last night?' Mr. Hale was genuinely moved over the loss of the ornament. And yet, Lesbia could not think that it was mere sentimental attachment there, too, as having belonged to his dead wife, that made him so downcast. Also, in itself, the cross was of comparatively little value. Lesbia's suspicions returned, and again she dismissed them as unworthy. Moreover, if Hale had assaulted George and had committed a burglary, he would not be so eager to set the police on the track. Whosoever was guilty, he at least must be innocent." Cold as her father was to her, and little affection as she bore him, it was agreeable to find that he was honest, though, to be sure, every child expects to find its parents above reproach. Perhaps the sixth sense told Lesbia that her father was not all he should be. In no other way could she guess how she came to be so ready to think ill of him, but up to the present she had suspected him wrongly, and so was pleased. Hale and young Walker went to the Marlowe police office and explained in concert what had occurred. The officer in charge of the station heard their tale unmoved as it was nothing more exciting than a robbery by a vagabond. He went with them personally to Medmenham 
and there met the village constable, who presented his report. This did not include any reference to gypsies. His superior, whose name was Parson, questioned him and learned that the thief or thieves had left no trace behind, and, on the evidence of Jenny the maid, had stolen nothing save the cross. Parson then went to Mrs. Walker's house and questioned the girl. Jenny was naturally much agitated, but was reassured by George, who declared that no one suspected her. "'I should think not, sir,' she cried, firing up and growing red. "'I didn't even know that the cross you speak of was in the house. You never showed it to me, sir.' "'No,' acknowledged Walker truthfully. "'I certainly did not.' "'Did you see any of those gypsies lurking about the house?' asked Parson. "'No,' said Jenny positively. "'I did not. Mr. George went out for a walk at ten o'clock, and I lay down at half-past.' I never knew anything, or heard anything, or guessed anything. When I got up at seven, as usual, and went to dust the drawing-room, I found the window open, and that didn't scare me as I thought Mr. George might have opened it when he got up. But you knew that he was not in the house? said Hale alertly. I never did, sir. I went to wake him after I found the drawing-room window open, and found that he hadn't been to bed. The room was upset too, just as you saw it. If I'd known that I was alone in the cottage, I should have been scared out of my life. "'But I thought Mr. George came in late and had gone to bed as usual. "'I nearly fainted, I can tell you,' cried Jenny tearfully. "'Fancy a weak girl like me being left alone with them horrid gypsies down the lane. "'But I slept through it all, and I never saw no gypsies about. "'When I saw the bedroom upset and that Mr. George wasn't there, "'I called in Quain the policeman. "'That's all I know, and if Mrs. does give me notice when she comes back, "'I'd have her know that I'm a respectable girl as doesn't rob anyone.' "'Jenny had much more to say on the subject, but all to no purpose.' so the three men went to the camp. They found the vagrants making preparations to leave, and shortly were in the middle of what promised to be a free fight. The gypsies were most indignant at being accused, and, but for a certain awe of the police, would certainly have come to blows with those who doubted their honesty. The man who had seen the cross accounted for his movements on the previous night. He was in the village public house until eleven, so could not have assaulted Walker on the towing path, and afterwards was in bed in one of the caravans, as was deposed to by his wife. In fact, every member of this particular tribe, they were mostly lovels from the New Forest, proved that he or she had nothing to do with either the assault or burglary. Finally, Parson, entirely beaten, departed with the other two men, and the gypsies proceeded to move away in a high state of indignation. "'Do you really think that they are innocent?' asked Hale, who surveyed the procession of outgoing caravans with a frown. "'Yes, I do.' said Parson, who was not going to be taught his business by any civilian. "'So do I,' struck in Walker. "'All the men who saw the cross have accounted for their whereabouts last night. They were not near my mother's house, nor across the river on the towing path.' Hale smiled dryly. He had no opinion of Walker's intelligence, or of that which Mr. Parson possessed. "'Rogues and vagabonds, as these people are, stand by one another, and will swear to anything to keep one of their number out of jail.' I don't put much faith in the various alibis. You should have searched the caravans, officer. And the men and women also, I suppose, sir, said Parson quietly. I had no warrant to do so, let me remind you. Even gypsies have their privileges under the English law. Also, if any one of these men were guilty, he could easily have passed across to one of the women, or buried it. I might have searched and found nothing, only to lay myself open to a lecture from my superiors. Still began Hale, unwilling to surrender his point of view. "'Let me remind you, Mr. Parson, that—' uh, "'Let me remind you, sir,' broke in the officer stiffly, "'that only this ornament you speak of was stolen. "'If a gypsy had broken into the house, 
he would certainly have taken other things. And again, no gypsy could have carried Mr. Walker into your parlor, seeing that not one member of the tribe is aware of your existence, much less where your cottage is situated. I am ignorant on that score myself. Having thus delivered himself with some anger, for the supercilious demeanor of Hale irritated him, Parson strode away. He intimated curtly to the two men, as he turned on his heel, that if he heard of anything likely to elucidate the mystery, he would communicate with them. Also, he advised them, if they found a clue, to see him. Hale laughed at this last request. I fancy I see myself placing the case in the hands of such a numbskull. George shook his head. If you do not employ the police, who is to look into the matter? He asked gravely. The answer was unexpected. You are, said Hale coldly and decisively. George stopped. They were walking back to Marlow when this conversation took place, and stared in amazement at his companion. Why, I am the very worst person in the world to help you, he said aghast. To help yourself, you mean. Remember, I promised to consent to your marriage to Lesbia only on the condition that I got back the cross. It is not my fault that the cross is lost. I never said that it was, retorted Hale tartly. All the same, you will have to find it and return it to me before I will agree to your marriage with my daughter. It would have been much better had you handed it over to me last night. I dare say, said George somewhat sulkily, but I'm not the man to give up anything when the demand is made in such a tone as you used. Besides, I don't see how I can find the cross. Please yourself, my boy. But unless you do, Lesbia marries Sergeant. Sergeant? The blood rushed to Walker's cheeks, and his voice shook with indignation. Do you mean to say that you would give your daughter to that broken rake, to that worn-out ta-ta-ta, said Hale in an airy French fashion, and glad to see the young man lose his temper. Sergeant is my very good friend, and was my brother officer when I was in the army. He would make Lesbian an excellent husband, as he is handsome and well-off and amiable, and— And an idiot, a gambler, and— You'd better not let him hear you talk like that. Walker laughed. I fear no one, let me tell you, Mr. Hale. Mr. Sergeant, or Captain Sergeant, as he calls himself. He has every right to call himself so. He was a captain. It is not usually thought good manners to continue the title after a man has left the army, said George dryly, and recovering his temper, which he saw he should never have lost with a hardened man like Hale. You, for instance, do not call yourself— There, there, that's enough, Walker, cried the elder man impatiently. You know my terms. That cross and my consent, otherwise Lesbia marries Sergeant. She loves me. She will never obey you, cried the lover desperately. I shall find means to compel her consent said Hale coldly. Surely, Mr. Walker, you have common sense at your age. Sergeant has money, and a certain position. You have neither. I can make a position. Then go and do so. When you are rich and highly placed, we can talk. Hale was as hard as iron, and as cold. There seemed to be no chance of getting what was wanted by appealing to his tender feelings, since he had none whatsoever. But after swift reflection, Walker thought of something which might make the man change his mind. Listen, Mr. Hale, he said when Lesbia's father was on the point of moving away from a conversation which he found unprofitable and disagreeable. I did not intend to tell you, but as my engagement with Lesbia is at stake, I will make a clean breast of it. Hale wheeled round with a cold light in his eyes. Are you going to confess that you stole the cross and got up a comedy to hide the theft? George laughed. I am not clever enough for that. But it is about a possible fortune that I wish to speak, one that may come to me through my mother. A fortune, Hale flushed, for only the mention of money could touch his cold nature. I never knew that your mother had money. 
She has not now, but she may have. Go on, said Hale, seeing that the young man hesitated, and watching him with glittering eyes. I have known your mother for years, but she has never told me either that she had money or expected any. I should not tell you either, said Walker bluntly, and so I hesitated. I have no business to interfere with my mother's affairs. However, I must speak, since I want to marry Lesbia. I am all attention. My grandfather left his large fortune equally divided between his two daughters. One was my mother, and her husband, my father, ran through the lot, leaving her only a trifle to live on. I helped to keep her. This, said Hale coldly, I already know. But what you don't know is that my aunt, my mother's sister, that is, ran away with some unknown person during her father's lifetime. He was angry, but forgave her on his deathbed, and left her a fair share of the money, that is, half. As my mother inherited fifty thousand, there is an equal amount in the hands of Mr. Simon Jabez, a lawyer in Lincoln's Inn Fields, waiting for my aunt should she ever come back. And if she does not? asked Hale anxiously. Then, if her death can be proved, the money comes to my mother. Humph! <laughs> but you say your aunt ran away with someone, to marry the man, I suppose. What if there is a child? Walker's face fell. The child inherits it, he said softly. Hale laughed harshly. You have found a mare's nest, he said coolly, and I see no reason to change my decision with regard to your possible marriage with Lesbia. Your aunt may be alive and may appear to claim the money. If she is dead, her child or children may come forward. On the other hand, if your mother does come in for the fifty thousand pounds you speak of, she is, as I know, a hard woman. I agree with you, said the young man, moodily and sadly. She is as hard as you are, Mr. Hale. But if she inherits my grandfather's money, that is, my aunt's share, she has no one to leave it to but me. I am an only child. Your mother, said Hale deliberately, is as hard as you say. That is, she is as sensible as I am. If you marry against her will, she will not leave you one farthing of this money, which, after all, may never come into her possession. But why should she object to Lesbia? asked George. When she meets her and sees how lovely she is, bah! Hale looked scornful. You talk like a fool, as if any woman was ever moved by the beauty of another woman. Besides, your mother hates me. We are old enemies, and rather than see you marry my daughter, she would go to your funeral with joy. If you married against her will, as you assuredly would in making Lesbia your wife, she would leave you nothing, and I also dislike the match on account of your mother. But why are you her enemy and she yours? asked George, bewildered. That is a long story, and one which I do not intend to relate unless driven to speak. If Lesbia marries you, she will lose two thousand a year, which I can give her when I die. If you want to drag the girl you love down to poverty, Mr. Walker, then marry her secretly. I tell you that if you make Lesbia your wife, neither I nor your mother will help you. And yet you said that you could make Lesbia your wife if you found the cross. Yes, I did say that, and I still say it. If you get me the cross, you shall marry her and have the two thousand a year when I die. But it would be wiser for you to leave Lesbia alone and marry... Marry whom? asked George, his cheeks flaming. Maud Ellis, retorted Hale with a sneering laugh and turned away. End of chapter four. A family history. Recording by Sydney M.